figuring out what your number is, looking at how much money you have saved. What's the difference? Once you know that gap, what's the difference? That will then dictate what your options are. Welcome to the Teacher Money Show, the podcast dedicated to helping teachers navigate your unique financial challenges and unlock your financial superpowers. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, a full-time teacher. That's right, I teach every day, just like you, and personal financial coach. And I'm here to help every teacher, whether you're a seasoned teacher looking for fresh insights, or a new educator navigating your first paycheck, or you are right about to retire and want to know what you need to do to retire to have a richer wallet, classroom, and life. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither I nor my guests are engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should not act upon this information without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. I'm super excited to have Miss Black from Staying in the Black back on our podcast for the third time to give us another snapshot into retirement at a different point in your teaching career. So if you haven't already listened to the previous ones where we talked about retirement planning for new teachers, retirement planning for uh, mid-career teachers, you can go back and listen to those to get a holistic view of where we're going as we now go into talking about retirement planning for teachers at the end of their career. Ms. Black, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. You're the first podcaster I've done like a three-part series with, and I'm like really excited about today's episode. It's been so much fun having you. So let's just jump right on in because we have a lot to cover today, a lot of great topics to talk about. I just wanted to start by asking you, you know, people are preparing for retirement. What are maybe the most critical steps teachers nearing retirement should take to ensure that they're going to have a smooth transition into retirement? So today, I think when we talk about like end of the career, I'm talking about like if you are retiring probably within the next five years or really anything less than 10 years, it matters like how many years, like what your retirement horizon is because it impacts how much time you have to like pull the trigger, right? To to finally like submit your paperwork and say, this is what I'm going to do. When we spoke about mid-year, mid-career, I was thinking like, all right, if you're thinking like anywhere past, you know, your first five years to like up into all the way, all the way into like 10 years before retirement, that I kind of considered mid-career because 10 you can do a lot with 10 years, right? In the market. Um, if you're, you're mid-career and you're like, all right, I got 10 years to invest, look at my, my debt and, you know, trying to lower my debt and all that other stuff. 10 years is a, it's a, it's a significant amount of time to look at. But once you get to like that five-year mark where you're looking at like, up, <laughs> I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, or I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, all right, I want to pack it up. That's what I consider in the year. So it's not really age dependent. It's more so like what you've set for yourself, but that five-year window, I think, is like end of career. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good point. That you know, end of your career is not like 
oh, I'm retiring this year. Okay. If you, Correct. <laughs> this year, that is not the time to start thinking about retirement uh, or to, you know, make major moves. Like a year in terms of retirement preparation, investing preparation is a blink of an eye. So it's really important to try and start this as early in the process. I mean, of course, we want to start beginning of our career thinking about retirement. Mm -hmm. But if you are preparing for retirement, uh, make sure you start thinking about I'm going I'm in this I'm going to retire phase, uh, you know, five to 10 years before you actually pull the trigger. Yeah. And so the difference, like first, when we spoke about new to career, right, or early teachers, I really pressed um, or really spoke a lot about automating right because the whole thing is if you're automating when you're a new teacher when you get to this point like everything's in place it's been you know just sitting there and it's been working for you compound interest has been adding up and even mid-career if you look at it and you're like okay I, I think I know my numbers I've kind of projected how much it's gonna cost me and you've automated like having it automated for 10 years you're good to go. Like you should be like on a good track. Now, if you get to this point and you haven't automated, right? You haven't really thought about this and you're at the end of the career. If you've automated five years out, you're kind of just checking in and checking up, right? You have you should meet with, like in the city, we are on pension. So we have things called like pension consultations. So if you have that availability in your where you work, then you should like have, I had my first pension consultation 10 years before I thought that I could retire, right? So you want to start, like you definitely want to have a pension consultation. If you don't have a pension, you definitely want to look into meeting with a certified financial planner. And I say a certified financial planner and not a um, financial advisor because planners, uh, have a designation, they are fiduciary, and they are able to look at your funds, not just in the moment, but for the retirement part of it as well. They give really comprehensive overviews of your finances. And I can say this because I just met with two financial planners, um, seeing as I'm towards the end of my career. Um, and I'm a planner. So I've already started this process and I can tell you that uh, it's important um, as I'm going through it. And can you explain what it means to be a fiduciary and why that's so important when it comes to choosing someone to help advise you with your finances? Yeah. So um, fiduciaries are committing to giving you the best financial advice for you and not necessarily pushing or guiding you into things that work better for them. Meaning some financial products um, pay the advisor commissions. Um, some of them pay them flat fees. So it is more advantageous for a non-fiduciary uh, advisor to put you into things that work for them and not necessarily what's better for you. So a fiduciary always has to think about what's best for you. If Sean were my advisor and he wasn't in a fiduciary, he could technically put me into a fund that paid him out the highest commissions or, or fees and cost charge me more fees versus a lower uh, versus saying putting me in an index fund where he would get little to no um, commission for that. And so then you may ask, well, then how do they get paid, right? They get paid because you pay them a fee. So you have fee-based advisors 
Um, and people feel different ways, like, well, then they're charging you more. What's the percentage? You have to figure that out. For me, what's important about the fiduciary is that they're giving me the best advice for me um, and not really worried about what fees they're going to garner by guiding me towards a product. Yeah, I mean, like, if you think about it, you can either pay somebody, I mean, like the highest number I've heard for a financial planner is like 500 bucks, okay? Which sounds mm -hmm. like a lot of money. It's usually lower than that in like the 250 range, something like that, because they do prep work with all your numbers. They meet with you for about an hour and then they do some follow-up work afterwards, right? So it's comparable-ish to paying a lawyer maybe. And you're like, wow, it's a lot of money to pay somebody for an hour of their time. But let's say you have you know $100,000 to invest at 1% fees, okay? In one year, that 1% is going to cost you a lot more than that. <laughs> let alone. And most of them charge like two. Exactly. Right. Like most so, of them want like 2% of your entire portfolio. So it, it's, it's really in the grand scheme of things, much cheaper to use a fiduciary who has your best interest in mind and to just pay them one time instead of paying them every single year, you know, depending on how much money you have and, that if you lose money, you still pay them when when they're uh, getting <laughs> compensated by by fee structures. If you're losing money, you don't have to go and talk to a certified financial planner and pay them a fee. You can you know hold back a little bit if you want to and like wait until you feel in a better financial position to go out and then pay this person for financial advice. So it's just all around a better financial decision to talk to a fee only financial planner. Now, is this person that's handing out donuts in the lunchroom a fiduciary certified financial planner? Uh, they're handing out donuts in the, in the lunchroom. I doubt it, right? Um, generally, they're working for a firm and they have a free structure. And like I, like you, am a financial coach. I don't bash how people um, earn their, their money. I just feel like people need to be clear when working with a financial, um, someone in the financial industry, how they are paid and how they are paid impacts the advice that they give you. Right. Absolutely. And so if you're, if you're comfortable with that, fine. Um, just know what you're paying for <laughs> and what it actually is costing you. So definitely do the map right and see if that makes sense but here's the other thing i met with two uh i actually met with three of them in, in one week um, but um that was because one some municipalities or organizations depending on where you work um may offer services for free if you do other things so i had signed up for a financial class i always try to make sure that i'm up to date on what's happening financially and so i had signed up for a financial workshop, which made me eligible to have a free CFP. Um, and that person actually worked for Morgan Stanley. And so he did my workup for free. Um, but I also work for um, the largest school system in the country. And as part of my benefits, I can access a CFP for $25. So look at your benefits, like check with your union, check with your municipality and find out like if this is something that they pay for, because it actually, um, they pay for it for, it's, it's part of my benefits package to be able to 
access this person. And they only actually charge us because they want to make sure we make the appointment. <laughs> they found like when they gave it for free, people <laughs> didn't show up. So that's a nominal cost for the advice that I get, the work, all the workup that they've done. Um, and this was actually my second time meeting with a CFP. I just, I'm a question, like I'm a planner. So I just kind of want to make sure that the math is mathing. Um, the, so I, I recommend that you speak to them and the key to leveraging them is to be honest and totally transparent with your entire financial situation. Because remember, you want to, if you're in the end part of your career, you want to walk away and you want to tell them how much debt you are in. Um, for me, like I currently still have a mortgage on my house. So, right, like, do I have credit card debt? Do I have mortgage debt? It, did I co-sign student loans for my child? Is that something else that I'm going to have to come back and pay? So just really being as transparent as possible with them about all of your money so that they can accurately advise you. So what my, the the Morgan Stanley um, person that I worked with, and I got him, he actually volunteers to do this. And so that's how I ended up with him. Luck of the draw, he happened to work for Morgan Stanley. He ran a Monte Carlo um, and a Monte Carlo is a, is a, it's a theory and it's a, a math thing where they try to figure out will your money how long can your money last throughout your lifetime and he set it at 94 age 94 um and said like if i worked until i was 55 years old giving all of my financial there was a 98 percent chance that my money would last until i was 94 years old spending hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year he also ran it if i if i did it and i spent $135,000. To be clear, I don't spend that much money now. And studies have shown that you're usually when you're retired, your, your amount of spending stays about the same. So I know that I'm good. Like I know I'm even better than his 98% because I don't spend that now. I don't know, and I'm really mindful of keeping my costs down. So that's something else you want to think about at the end of your career. How much it costs to be you and how do you keep those costs kind of steady? You can't control inflation. So like last year when inflation was like 9%, 11%, you wouldn't be able to control for that. Um, the way you control for it is making sure that you have enough money put away. Um, and so you may be hearing us and like, yeah, things that I'm speaking about speak really to the people who have automated and they have a pretty sizable nest egg. Um, and they're using these last five years to really figure out what do they wanna do in retirement? What does that look like? I know that I won't stop working, um, but I will work in a different manner. I will own my time. So like I think about starting a business, which I've already started investigating doing currently so that, hey, do I even like this? <laughs> Right. Because you may think like when I retire, I'm going to do X, Y and Z, but you may find out that you don't like it. So one resource that has been really helpful for me is like design your life. I believe one of the the um, the authors is Emmett. I think Bill Emmett or something is from Stanford. But that was a great process that I started a couple of years ago to try and figure out like what I want to do. Podcasting was one of those things. And three years later, I'm still doing it. So I'm like, oh, I do like this. Um, financial coaching is something else that I thought that I would enjoy. And so I just started doing that piece by piece. Um, and I like it. So I continue to do it. Here's the thing. I have a job. 
I can do these things on the side. If I like them, great. I'll continue with it. If I don't, so what? Like I can try something new. So if you've automated and you're like, all your numbers are looking good, you should be spending these last five years like doing your job really well, but also exploring what you want to do in your next chapter. Now, that's the ideal situation or the best scenario. But if you're not, right, and like your numbers aren't where you want them to be, what should you be doing? Um, And I think for that, you need to know, I always say to people, how much does it cost to be you, right? I said that in the previous episodes as well. So what figuring out what your number is, looking at how much money you have saved, what's the difference? Once you know that gap, what's the difference? That will then dictate what your options are, right? So if it's a twenty dollars or $30,000 gap, okay, you might pick up a side hustle or an extra job and really put that money away so that you can close that gap before you retire. If it's like a $75,000, $100,000 plus gap, that's a different conversation, right? And you have not failed. You're young, you still have options. <laughs> and so then you have to decide the path that you want to take. Question, do you, can you stay teaching? Like teaching is one of those professions that I believe like if you're not happy in it, you shouldn't stay in it. Um, so you might be really thinking about should I look for another job, right? And that's possible too. But I think our kids deserve the best, especially in K-12. Um, and you should give them 100% and give it your all and they should get the best of you. So I'm not advocating for you to stay if you're miserable. But if you are if you are miserable and you're saying like, okay, I, I have come to terms with the fact that I have to continue working. What else would I want to do? That's where the Design Your Life book was really helpful because it helps you explore like what other things are you good at? Once you decide what that thing is, do you need additional training? Do you need, um, are there certifications? Whatever it is, know what that is. And then you also have to, and unlike when you were younger and you're just like, oh, I just want to do this. So I'll take a college course. You're also looking at the return on investment, right? Does it make, like you're trying to retire. Does it make sense to take out another student loan to get a certification in something are you going to make enough money to pay back that student loan and still contribute to your retirement? Those are the questions that you have to ask. And those are the things that you have to think about if you have a large gap between the amount of money that it costs to be you and the amount of money that you have in your retirement accounts. We've all heard of New Year's resolutions. This year, I invite you to make a very important resolution. Resolve to tell a teacher friend about the Teacher Money Show. Think you can do it before January ends? I bet you can. How can a teacher know how much money they need to be them when they're retired? Right. So I'm old school. I'm a pen and paper person. I say track your spending, right? If you can track your spending for 30 days, it will give you a snapshot 
on how much it costs to be you, right? You'll have a sense of like, this is what I pay for my utilities. This is what I pay on my credit card. This is what I pay to eat out lunch. This is how much I pay on clothes. This is how much I pay for childcare. And then you take that 30 or 31 day snapshot, multiply it by 12, and that's generally going to tell you how much you're spending, not how much you're earning. And that's a huge difference when you're looking at your retirement. You're looking at your spending because once you retire, you're not paying into Social Security. You're not paying into your retirement accounts. You're not paying to commute to work. You may not even be paying for uh, dry cleaning and all that sort of things. Also, depending on the municipality that you retire in. So I live and work in New York City. Because I am a New York City and state employee, I don't, they don't, I don't pay New York City and state taxes on my pension, which is huge. I still pay federal taxes, but not state and city tax. So another thing that you should do if you're in this, investigate what your benefits are in retirement what your tax situation is in retirement, because also there's those states, there's nine of them, and it seems like the list is growing um, that don't have state income tax like Delaware, um, or and they won't tax your retirement income. So those are things that you um, should look at. So you might be thinking about like, can I stay, in, can I afford to stay in my state? Um, can I afford to stay in my house? Um, you really need, and that that's also something else that you would, you should be thinking about, right? So you know how much it costs to be you, how much is that is of living expenses, right? Cause those are your major expenses is housing and food and transportation. So some people think of their house, like they're like, oh, I've paid, you know, I've paid it off. Okay. Do I sell it and move to a state? or a place that has a lower uh, cost of living, you have a lot of options if you haven't hit your numbers. You just need to know how to explore them. So moving, selling your house, you may have, you know, you may own a three, four bedroom house because you had children and now they're out the house, they're off their own. Do you still need that space? Um, so there are different ways to fill in that gap between what you um how much it costs to be you and how much money you've saved. You need to look at it as a puzzle if you haven't, if there's a large gap and think about like, how do I move things around so that I'll have enough money or do I work longer? And there's nothing wrong with that either, as long as you know, so whether you decide to stay in education or you take another route and you say, hey, I want to explore this career um, and it's going to pay me and enough to make up the gap between what I have in my retirement savings and how much it costs to be me. So let's say it you. costs $50,000 to be me every year. Mm -hmm. How do I know that if I have enough to retire? I, I've got $500,000 in my retirement accounts. Seems like a lot of money. Got a lot of cheddar in there. <laughs> do I have enough in retirement? So if you're saying you have $500,000 and you, I'm like breaking out my calculator because it's truly about the math, right? So if you take $50,000 and you multiply it by 25, 
that would say you would need $1.25 million to live off of that $50,000 for the rest of your life at a withdrawal rate of 4%. So if you have $500,000 in your retirement account, you have a $750,000 gap. Now, just want to make sure we understand a $750,000 gap based on that number. But uh, mm -hmm. if I have a pension that's giving yes. me a certain amount of money per month or Social Security mm -hmm. bringing me a certain amount of money per month, that can reduce what that gap is. So yes. $4,000 uh, a month-ish is about mm -hmm. the same as a million dollars in having retirement accounts. It's not exactly equivalent. It's close-ish. So exactly bringing a thousand dollars a month, that's like a $250,000 in my retirement accounts at that 4% withdrawal rate uh, that we were talking about. This, this 4% withdrawal rate comes from a very well proven study that you will probably not run out of money based on historical returns. If you withdraw 4% adjusted for inflation during retirement, probably won't. Um, but the point is that, uh, that's, you know, if you're only living off of what you have in retirement, you're withdrawing 4%, that's how much you can live off of. But if you have other sources of income in retirement, then uh, that will adjust your number as well. So just want to make sure we understand that uh, if I have $500,000 in the bank, you're like, oh, no, there's no way I can survive. Well, are you going to get a pension? Are you going to get a Social Security? You need to factor those numbers in um, as well when you are making that decision. Exactly. And so there's lots like you have Social Security, um, you may have a pension, there's a lot of things that you may have that feed into it, you may own a rental property, and that rental property pays you um, like a monthly rent. Um, there are different, there are definitely you may tutor after school, and you may continue to do that. You just need to look at all of your sources and see how can you put it together to make sure that you meet your number. So like in my planning, I never really like the number, I was going for the number and putting away in the sense so that I would hit the number in my invested accounts and not factoring in my pension because I knew that if I got even close to my ultimate number, my pension would make sure I was definitely over it. And understanding how your pension works if you have one. Um, there's also something called the T72, which allows you to um, to take money earlier. You have a lot of options, but you need to start doing the research early. Um, and so five years is enough time to do research. Five years is a short amount of time to expect that compound interest on a small amount of number is going to get you there. And that's really what you're trying to piece together. The other thing that the government, federal government does for you is that it also um, allows for catch-up contributions. So once you turn 50, um, this year you can contribute an extra $7,500. So they've raised the contribution for your retirement this year. I believe it's... Um, $23,000. But if you're over 50, you can contribute an additional $7,500, right? So you have that money. Now, the interesting thing I learned recently is that 
this year there's an extension and that money um if you are if you make less than $145,000, you can contribute that extra contribution for $7,500 pre-tax. But if you make more than $145,000, then starting in January of 2025, that additional contribution can only be in a Roth option, thanks to the Secure Act 2.0. When I first read it, I wasn't sure if I was for it or against it. <laughs> Right. But it also depends on where you are um, in your retirement planning and um, where you live and how you spend your money, all that type of stuff. Because at first I was like, what? This is crazy. But then I was like, ah, it won't be. It's not that crazy in the sense that when you start pulling that money out, you'll pull it out of the Roth tax free. So personal finance is personal. Right. What may work for you may not work for me and vice versa. But you have to plan, especially when it comes to retirement. And so some people sit there and say, like, I can never retire or I don't want to retire. Like, I work with people, even with our great pension plan, who work for 38, 40-something years because they really enjoy what they do. Um, some of it because they haven't planned uh, what to do next. And they're just like, well, this is working for me. I'm going to keep it going. Some people, because financially, they're like, they don't think that they can afford to do it. And so you have to do the math, right? You really need to look at your numbers and that will help you make, choose the options that work best for you. Speaking to a certified financial planner will generally also clear things up for you because they understand the laws, um, what's happening and can advise you in ways to say like, okay, you're on the right track or you have this gap. So you might want to consider this and talking to someone who doesn't really know you can be really helpful because they're not tied to it emotionally. Like you're just like, I want to stop working. Um, the other part of it is we're talking best case scenarios where you're choosing to retire. As we age, sometimes it may not be our choice to retire depending on the municipality you work in. New York City, very strong teachers union. It's hard pressed for them to, you know, ask you to leave uh, or push you to leave. But in other municipalities, you're on a contract, a yearly contract. And so they're just like, no, we're not hiring you again. And so you have this forced retirement. So you really, no matter what stage you're in, need to plan and understand what your numbers are. You don't have to do this stuff every day. Like it's my jam. I enjoy it. But I get that some people have a fear of it and um, it does not bring them joy. But checking in, especially at the end part of your career, I would say check in quarterly, right? Am I on track? So if you don't want to do it every day, you don't want to do it weekly, you don't want to do it monthly, definitely every quarter. You are the CFO of your life. You need to have a quarterly meeting. <laughs> Sit down. Am I headed in the right direction? And what and or what adjustments do I need to make to make sure that I am on track? Um, so that when you get to the point that you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore, you can walk away free and clear. And if you, because I feel what I've also encountered is people who are like, yes, I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire and retire. But then they had that first pension consultation 
or something happens that they start looking at their numbers and they realize that they can't afford to do it. Um, and I don't think, I don't believe in the term, like you can't afford to do it. I just feel like you have to rearrange how you're going to do it. Um, I'm always positive in that way, but you, I'm, nobody's a miracle worker, right? So you, you need to know the numbers <laughs> to make it work. Yeah, they can't afford to do it at their current lifestyle. They could change their lifestyle, but a lot of people aren't willing to do that. I really like yes. what you said about you can't choose when you're going to retire all the time. I mean, like th there's mm -hmm. this article I read about the lady who taught for 70 years and she was a PE mm -hmm. teacher. She was 90 years old teaching PE, which, wow, if you have the body that keeps going for that long, more power to you. But on the other hand, there's other teachers who just, you have to stop like for your mental health. I, I interviewed another teacher who, she fell in the snow, broke her arm and said, oh, good, I don't feel to work the next day. Oh, maybe I need to do something different, right? Um, th there's that, that that thing where you think, oh, I'll just teach forever. You don't always mm -hmm. control over that. I, I want to teach forever is not an excuse to put your head in the sand and say, I don't have to worry about my retirement because I'm just going to keep teaching. Yes. Right? There, there's just comes a point where you don't make that decision necessarily. So plan to not be able to follow your plan to teach forever. Yes. <laughs> That's the important part. And like, what I find is like putting your head in the sand is just not the answer. And most people that I, like I coach and that I encounter, they're generally pleasantly surprised, right? Like, oh, wow. I didn't realize that I had that much or, oh, I didn't know that I had that option. Let me ask, let me access it. You need to know what your benefits are, right? Because there could be things that you could be exercising, um, such as your flex spending. If you have an HSA account, there's a lot of different things that you can tap into. But if you don't look at your numbers, you don't even know. And so that that's where the problem comes in. And at the end of your career, you don't want to be there. So to me, end of career, no less than five years, you should be looking at those numbers, putting things in place, talking to your HR person or your payroll secretary to kind of say like, am I maximizing my benefits? Because that's generally where a lot of those savings are going to come back. Like we're talking in New York City, a, like meeting with a certified financial planner, $500 is a discount. Like generally we're talking about like $1,000, $1,500. So it's relative to where you live right and yes we get paid more but there's other things that that factor it in but just know like there are people there there are teachers in new york city who have paid the fifteen hundred dollars to the certified financial planner and i was like oh no i could go right here to the city and pay my person 25 dollars, and they have the same designation and i get the same advice and I, the first one I met with I got for free just because I took a free class so you know know your benefits maximize those those are definitely ways to save money and then be able to contribute more money to your retirement so that you can utilize the 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 stock market and investing to to grow it just stuffing it in a savings account or underneath your mattress is not going to get you there and i also get that it can be kind of scary the other thing that i forgot to mention with this is you may be an aggressive investor right so you've automated you're like yes miss black i'm good to go i've automated <laughs> i put everything where 
but you're a very aggressive investor. In these last five years, you want to start shifting to more stable investments. So I am a fix it and forget it. I'm an automated type of girl. So I have like in one of my invest in my retirement accounts, I put it in what's um, in, in our system, they call it a preferred a- account um, or call it a targeted account. So my money is in a 2040 account, which means like I started that investment probably in 2000 and it was 95% in stock market or in the equities and then slow and like stocks or equities is what they, every, that's what makes it confusing is all the different names, but equities or stocks. And then every year it gets closer to 2040, that investment mix shifts to be more conservative. So right now that um, targeted account or preferred account is about 60-40. So 60% of it is in still in the stocks and equities, but like a good 30 or 40% of it is in more stable things like bonds and money market accounts. And that's so that when I get to 2040, it will kind of flip. It would almost be like a good 10 to 20% will be in stocks or equities. And the majority of it will be a more stable because that's when I'll start withdrawing from it. So you, if you're really aggressive and this happened to one of my coworkers, she was totally aggressive and she was ready to retire and then COVID happened and it took a nosedive and she was freaking out. And I was like, I told you <laughs> to start shifting it over. So in those last five years, if you know that you're an invest, an aggressive um, investor and you don't have it in a targeted account, you definitely want to meet with a, a certified financial planner. You definitely want to look at what your allocations are looking at and start shifting into more stable because then this is the money that you're living off of going forward. That's how I know that you know my Monte Carlo worked and it's 98% because I know that that account will shift to more stable and conservative investments as I get closer to that point so that I can just start pulling it out Um at that 4% rate and make sure that it lasts until I'm 94, at least. Yeah, and the real reason to have those stable investments is if everything takes a drop, you can pull money from those stable investments while it's down because those don't drop in value as much as the stocks do. So you're just pulling money out of these these bonds that are the same value basically as where you put them in because bonds don't grow that much while you wait for the yes. to go back up and up and up. So that's yeah. the, the, the trade-off because if you have put all this money in and then everything drops, then you have to sell at a loss and that, that can really hurt your long-term financial position. So uh, just those last five years, that's the time to start slowly switching things over. Um, and then, you know, after you've retired, once you've, you know, made it another five years or so past then, you're mm-hmm. not safe, but like, you know, if you've made it that far, then you're probably going to be- Yeah, able- there's always- yeah, it's a, there's a dips and valleys. You just want to make sure that when you are retiring, you're on a, a more even keel. And the last thing that I would say is review your estate planning, right? So you get the money straight, but look at your estate 
planning. And that also goes into your retirement, right? If you want to um, qualify for Medicaid, you know, you're looking at right now, like I have a revocable trust, but I know that when I retire, I will establish an irrevocable trust. For you to qualify for Medicaid, that's a five-year look back. And again, we're healthy now. We can have conversations now, like, and we're making decisions, but we're older. Our body doesn't heal as well. I pray that everyone stays healthy and wealthy and prosperous until eternity. Um, but things happen and you've worked really hard to save all of this money for your retirement, but healthcare is the reason that most people go bankrupt. And that's something that can negatively impact your retirement savings as well. So you want to look at your um, estate planning and really start thinking about where you want to put your assets, how you want to transfer them, and uh, the best way to, to, to have that happen. You may want to also speak to a CPA to talk about, because I know already that my taxes will be higher in retirement than they are currently because I put so much away pre-tax for retirement. And so my salary will actually, my net take home will actually increase in retirement um, just because of how, yeah, it is a good problem to have, except if I wanted Medicare, right? So you have to like look into all of those options um, and how you set up your estate planning and make sure that it happens in a timely way. So your um, estate, you know, go and find an estate planner and look at, speak to your CPA um, to make sure everything is in place and that you have set yourself up for success. And if you're going to work longer, that's fine. Um, just really know what your numbers are. And that will also give you a sense of like how long you have to work at the new job or how long you have to stay in teaching. Um, like, my own sister, she was a New York City correction officer. She's retired and now she works for Delta um, because she likes to travel benefits and she enjoys it. But, you know, they get to retire after 20 years. So there's like lots of options. I've been really fortunate in my life to um, have people who've retired as young as 40 because they were in law enforcement in New York City. You, you only have to do 20 years. And those who wait until they're 50 or 60 to retire. So I've kind of seen um, it all and how people have attacked it. Um, there's no wrong or right way. There's the right way for you. And I, I want to go back to something that was really important. You said that, you know, healthcare bankrupts a lot of people in retirement. I mean, there's Medicaid, obviously, which isn't perfect. Um, I know that some pension plans actually offer a, an option to buy medical care through the pension plan. Do you know of any other mm -hmm. ways that teachers can go about having, you know, cost-effective medical insurance? Yeah. So you have the exchanges. Like people hate it. They hate the idea of Obamacare or, you know, the American. But depending on the state that you live in, you might actually have a good exchange. Um, so don't forget that either. Um, look at your exchange. It's an option. And that's also something that may also factor where you retire. Right. You if your your state may not have a good exchange. So you may say, hey, I'm going to go to one of these states that have a better um, health care exchange, um, your job, depending on where you work, because most of them who, like you said, who have a pension, you can either buy it, like utilize your pension to pay for it. Um, and your New York City public school teachers, they keep their health care. 
Um, so that's a, a huge benefit. And then you have the exchanges. So you can look in the exchanges. And now there are also a lot of like healthcare co-ops. So like there are dental plans that that work um, like on subscription services. And so there are medical. And like now Amazon Prime is offering medical care, like telework care. I saw the commercial this morning. I was like, <laughs> so there, the healthcare part, there are a lot of different options are coming out. And that's part of your research when you're in these last five years, like know what you're, what you, what you're going to keep and then start exploring what you do. Cause that may impact also whether you can afford to retire when you want to or not. All right. Well, I think that we've covered a lot of really amazing, important things today. Is there any last minute things you want to talk about or should we go into our final two questions? We can go to our final two. All right. Well, uh, the questions I ask every time, what is your number one tip for teachers? And let's talk about teachers nearing retirement to have a richer wallet classroom in life. Okay. When it comes richer wallet, take your head out the sand. <laughs> Just like really look at your numbers so that you can live your best life. Get over your fear of the numbers. <laughs> Do the math. Um, so that you can plan to live the life that you want to live. I love it. And uh, as always, where, where can teachers uh, get in contact with you? So I live on IG, staying in the black, staying in the BLK. Um, I'm on most platforms at staying in the BLK. You can listen to my podcast, staying in the black on um, most platforms. And I love to hear from you and, and answer your, your questions. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Black, for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoy speaking to you every time. If you'd like to come on the podcast for coaching, to share an expert opinion, or just to talk about a topic you think is relevant, I'd love to talk to you. Just fill out the form at teachermoneyshow.com slash guest. I look forward to talking with you.